Well, for those of you who don't know, I am Pastor Nathan, and this morning we are going to be starting the book of Jude, like 2nd and 3rd John. Jude is one of these short letters. This whole book is only 25 verses long, but it is incredibly deep, incredibly hard-hitting. And I say hard-hitting because this whole letter is like a fighter's manual for the Christian believer. The letter is a call to battle. It's a summons to war. It's ding, ding, ready to fight. That's what this whole letter is about, you know, and it's an interesting letter for me to, to study through and to teach through because as a kid, I didn't like fighting. I don't know if you're a fighter or not a fighter, but I was not a fan of fighting. Um, I got into very few, but I tried to avoid fights as much as possible because as a kid, when I would get into a fight, I was the type that would red out and lose their temper and, and then someone would get hurt. And so I tried to avoid doing that. Part of that came because I had a radical aversion to bullies. I had an incident in Boy Scouts of all places as a kid where one of the older scouts was a bully and liked to pick on the younger kids and I was one of the kids he'd like to pick on. And so one day, him and some of his cronies at an event were picking on me and twisted my arm and fractured it. And unfortunately, nothing really happened as a part of that. He was a, a kind of a real popular kid with the scout leaders at the time. And, uh, but the result of that is I kind of developed a scorched earth mentality when it came to bullies. Um, I had to protect myself, I thought. And so when someone was picking on me and I asked them to stop and they didn't, my idea in my head was, well, if I simply incapacitated you or hurt you bad enough, you couldn't pick on me anymore. And so that was kind of how I reacted to things. I wasn't interested in brawling, let's slug it out and fight. I was just interested in ending it. And so, you know, I'd let myself lose control and, and bad stuff happened. And I didn't like it. Last time I ever got in a fight was in junior high school because, again, I read it out and I hurt a kid and I just felt so terrible <laughs> about it that I was like, I'm never going to fight. And then as I grew up, I came to just dislike confrontation of any kind, really. Like, I don't like arguing. I don't like debating. I even came to avoid competition because it was a form of confrontation. My idea was, you know, hey, if I just let you win, we're still friends. So I was fine with letting other people win. That I never developed a, a real competitive spirit. And... Um, you know, when I got saved, I really, really loved this concept of a Savior who is gentle and lowly of heart. That just really resonated with me. But the problem is, is sometimes we could think that Jesus was only and ever gentle and lowly of heart. That he never raised his voice, never called anybody out, never got righteously angry. Instead, we have this picture of just the sweet, gentle, soft-spoken, even frail, if you look at uh, art <laughs> about Jesus sometimes, just this really almost weak Jesus. But there was also a side to Jesus that was incredibly contentious. It was the side to Jesus that overturned, temple, overturned tables in the temple. It was the side to Jesus that drove people out there with a whip it was a side to Jesus when faced with false teaching and teaching that would corrupt his people and his family. He would call them brood of vipers. He would call them whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones and corruption. He would even go so far to say to these type of people, you are of your father, the devil. 
that's not necessarily the sweet, gentle Jesus that, that we could uh, have in our minds sometimes. But it is that Jesus that Jude brings to the forefront. It is that Jesus that, that Jude brings to the forefront. It's not a contentious Jesus in the sense of we think of secular, fallen, contentious people that are angry and bitter and rude. It's not that at all. But it's a Jesus that it means to do business. It's a Jesus that takes truth seriously. And interestingly enough, it wasn't even Jude's intention to write a letter about this, as we'll look at when we get into it. He sat down to write a letter about encouragement, about our common salvation, but instead, he ended up writing about false teachers that had come into the church, people who were bringing false truths into the body of Christ and confusing people and corrupting the family. And he says, we need to fight for truth. We need to fight aggressively for truth. And this little letter reminds us that as Christians, as we live in this world, we are not on a playground, we are on a battleground. We are in the fight. We aren't sitting ringside, watching, but we're in the ring with the gloves on, and we need to be about that business. And so this whole letter reads like a general giving orders to his army. It reads like a, like a coach that is sitting on the side of the ring, directing their fighter, instructing their fighter, and so it is our summons to war. It is our call to fight, and so the war, war horn is sounding. Ding, ding, the bell has rung. Will you heed the call and step into the fight? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Lord, we know that there is a spiritual battle raging around us at all times. We know, God, that the spirit of truth is waging war against the spirit of error. God, we know that there is a battle on for the very lives, the very souls of people that you created in your image. And those of us that know you, that have come to faith, that have received the free gift of salvation, God, we are called to be a part of that fight. And yet, Lord, we, we live in a culture, a world today, Lord, where even within the church, there's a, there's a push to say, no, we don't wanna argue, we don't wanna fight, we don't wanna battle, just let everybody do what they wanna do. And, and God, that quite simply doesn't line up with our call scripturally. Yes, we are to be people who love and minister and serve, but we're not called to be passive when it comes to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of how to be saved and how to be in heaven with you forever. And so God, we pray as we study this letter that Jude wrote, God, we would be encouraged, we'd be challenged, motivated, God. Um, if we need to be rebuked by some things, God, we welcome that because we wanna continually be conformed into your image. And so we ask that you would speak to us this morning and do your work. Challenge us and encourage us, Lord, and help us to know that we are already equipped because we have the Holy Spirit of promise, the spirit of truth within us. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today, as I said, we are starting Jude, and uh, this book is a really interesting book. I want to read the first four verses. That was, that's what we're going to open up with today, and then we'll start digging through. But it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, Although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, 
turning the grace of God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Now as I open up with, this is one of those short letters at the end of the Bible. Very interesting book that's full of all kinds of Old Testament analogies and references. Even brings up some stories that people are like, ooh, that's interesting. You know, Michael and was fighting Satan over the body of Moses. What's that all about? We're gonna get to that eventually, all right? Um, but it's a, it's a really powerful book that has a lot of strong language. Jude is, is full of lots of judgment, condemnation, a lot of warning in this book. Some even go so far to say is Jude is one of the most neglected books in all of the Bible, that you don't hear a lot of studies about Jude. People don't have you know, their favorite verses out of the book of Jude, typically. It's just kind of like this little neglected book at the end of the Bible. But it's an important book because it talks about an important topic, apostasy. It talks about apostasy and apostates. Now that word apostasy, if you don't know, simply means to defect from the truth. It's the idea of leaving the truth, abandoning the truth, walking away from the truth. And the word indicates someone, when you hear the word apostate, um, it indicates someone that I believe that never really had a true salvation to begin with, but pretended to be a part of it, pretended to be a part of the flock, was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I believe that because much of the Bible talks about the security that we have in salvation. In 1 John that we studied for many months, John labored at length to establish the fact that you can know beyond a shadow of a fact that you're saved, right? You don't have to live a life where you're questioning that. And so um, I believe the Bible teaches that once you are soundly and truly saved, you are permanently soundly and truly saved, even though you might stumble along the way. So I don't believe in a, a concept of an apostate can be a truly saved individual who now loses their salvation and will perish and go to hell when they die. I believe an apostate is someone who looked like it Sounded like it, but never truly had it. So in Jude, he describes these types of people this way. And this kind of supports my, my interpretation of this. He describes them as people designated for this judgment long ago. He calls them ungodly. He says they're like irrational animals. He calls them dangerous reefs, waterless clouds, fruitless trees, discontented grumblers, flatterers, scoffers, worldly, but here's the key, not having the Spirit. Not having the Spirit. Not sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, not saved. And this includes those, not just those who openly, aggressively say Jesus isn't real, we deny God and all that, but those who claim Christ, but don't really believe in him who don't live in obedience to him, nor do they intend to. Now you might be in here this morning and you're like, look, Pastor Nathan, after 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, what is the deal with false teachers again? <laughs> Haven't we been talking about false teachers long enough? What's this ideal? What's the big deal about apostasy and false teaching? Well, Jude answers that question very pointedly and frames the answer around the call to fight for the truth that every Christian can and should answer. And it's important because sadly, um, in the world today, and in, in a, a lot in the modern Christian church, there's, there's this thinking that, that 
you know, it's not my job to fight for the truth. I don't have to fight for the truth. So I even go so far as like, I don't want to fight for the truth, you know? It, it's these ideas that, that even, even permeate the church at times where, you know, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And it's okay for you to believe your truth. If that's true for you, it's equally as valid as my truth. And the problem is, is the gospel is a life or death proposition for people. Truth is truth or it's not truth. And when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room for other truths. He is the truth. What's really difficult is in this thinking that according to a modern poll, um, just a recent poll, 50% of Christians between the age of 26 and 41 believe evangelism is wrong. 50%. That's half of Bible-believing, faith-professing, Jesus-loving people who go, I am a Christian, I believe Jesus died for my sins, you know, and, and, and have a biblical definition of you are saved, they also go, evangelism is wrong. Not just I don't evangelize, not just, well, that's for someone else. No, it's wrong for me or anybody else to do it. Half. That's a big deal. That's why we put such a huge emphasis here at Hosanna. We have evangelism ministries. We have skill meetings. We kind of latch on to every opportunity we can. We make tracks available, you know, because as, as a pastor here, I want to I not only teach and, and inform, but I want to equip and resource the body here to go out and share our faith because we're called to. It's not a calling that we could just neglect. It's not a calling to say, oh, that's someone else's job. It's every believer's job to evangelize and to fight for the truth. And so here in these opening four verses of Jude, I believe there's four elements of this call that we see here that I believe are, are elements that form a, a confident staging ground from which we could then um, confidently commit to the fight. So they kind of lay the foundation from which we can say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna commit to this fight that God is calling me to do. And the first one here, I believe Jude points out in verses one and two, is, is the army, the group of soldiers. And that includes Jude, that includes Jesus Christ, and it includes us. So if you'll read with me again, verse one of Jude. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And so reading this letter as it's opening, Jude is writing here like he's the lieutenant. He's the second in command to the commander here. He's the guy that's, that's, that's delivering the orders from the commander to the troops. That's, that's Jude's place here. He is the author of the letter and he is the one bringing the call to fight. Now what's interesting is the word Jude in the original Greek is actually the name Judas. Judas. You go read it in the actual Greek, there's no Jude, it's actually Judas, right? Now, that's interesting because there's, there's lots of Judases in the New Testament. If you go study through the New Testament, you'll find a lot of them, but we only remember, really remember one of them, don't we? When we think of Judas, who do we think of? Judas Iscariot, the great betrayer, the traitor to Jesus. Um, that's not the author of this letter, thankfully. Um, but imagine being this guy, in the early church, and you want to write a letter of encouragement to the church, you know, and you're going to open it up with who it's from, and, and your intent is to be, you know, encouraging and, and teaching some truths about Scripture, but unfortunately, you have the same name as the most infamous betrayer of Jesus. It might be difficult to get people to read your letter. Hey, we got a letter from Judas. Yeah, throw that in the trash, right? And so, it's just an interesting time that, 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 that 
he has this name that carries such negative weight to it. And so I believe that, that the name is just softened in, in our language, where instead of saying Judas, it, they, they soften the name to Jude itself. That's just my personal opinion on, on why it's Jude instead of Judas. But it is ironic to me that the only book um, in the entire New Testament that as a whole speaks directly of apostates departing the faith is essentially the book of Judas, right? That's just interesting to me. Um, but that's not to be confused with the gospel of Judas, which is a Gnostic gospel that was published in English in 2006. It was something that was circulate, circulated in the early church. Uh, the gospel of Judas, if you hear about it or read about it, it's a Gnostic gospel full of heresies and false truths, and so not to be confused with that. But the person who wrote this book, he identifies him there in verse one as a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother to James. Now of all the Judases in the New Testament, there is only one that we know for sure was also a brother of James. And that is the half-brother of Jesus Christ himself. What I mean by half-brother half is that Joseph and Mary were Judes, or this Judas, were, were his parents. Also the parents of James. And, and, and Jesus had Mary as his mother, but we know he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and thus Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. We're introduced to him in Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, and it says this. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue, speaking of Jesus, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brother's James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. This Judas is Jude, the author of this letter, okay? Um, but if you go look at his life, it's interesting because he wasn't always a servant of Jesus Christ, as he calls himself here in the opening to this letter. You, know, you look at the life of Jesus and you see that none of his blood siblings believed in him during his earthly ministry. Not a single one of them. Despite his miracles, despite all that he did, none of his blood siblings believed in him. In Mark chapter three in Capernaum, it tells us that Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he's out of his mind. Jesus is crazy. How many of you have a sibling that you think is crazy? Right? I think every single one of us in the room was like, it's not me, right? It's the other one that's crazy. But I'm pointing this out because I want to encourage all of us in here that have unbelieving family members. Even Jesus had unbelieving family members when he was here on earth. Even Jesus, physically here, had those that he grew up with that were closest to him that didn't believe in him while he was here on this earth. And I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with you if you're in that position. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not some horrible failure. You're not dropping the ball. You know, yeah, keep sharing, keep loving, keep, keep being a light for the gospel. But I just want to encourage you, you know, because when you look at the life of Jude here, and you go, well, what was it that led him to becoming a servant of Jesus Christ? What was it that led to that moment? What was it that changed his life? And if you look at the scriptures, you'll find out that it was the resurrection. It was the resurrection of Jesus that changed his life, you know? And I heard one, uh, one guy say that it's like, you know, if, if your brother happened to die and rise from the dead, 
that, that might do it, right? That might be the thing that causes you to, to believe in that moment. But it's in Acts chapter one, after the resurrection of Jesus, we see this in verse 14. It says, they were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That means Jude was there. Jude was a believer after the resurrection, and it was the resurrection that brought him to faith. And I just want to share that with you guys, because, you know, sometimes we can get discouraged and give up on our unbelieving family members. And I want to encourage you to not give up. Keep praying. Keep reaching out. Keep ministering. Keep sharing. Never let the enemy convince you that they're beyond hope. Never let the enemy get you to, to quit and give up on them permanently, because you never know when the truth of Jesus is going to penetrate their heart. You never know when that veil is gonna be pulled from their eyes and they're gonna see the truth and come to believe. You never know. I've told this story before, but I prayed for my mom for 10 years before she got saved. And yes, along the way, I quit a couple times. You know, It's never gonna happen, and then I got convicted, okay, and I kept praying. 10 years. That, that's a long time to, to pray. But guess what? My mom is saved today. She knows Jesus Christ, Christ is her Lord and Savior, and I'm so blessed by that. You know, So, so don't give up. Keep going, keep pushing. You never know when that seed is gonna just bear fruit in their life, and so keep ministering to them. But, but this is, that's the Jude. This is the Jude who's the author of this letter here, the second in command, and he said he's a servant of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the, the commander of the army, the commander, the leader of this fight. You know, scripture depicts, depicts Jesus that way in, in a number of places, you know, specifically in Revelation. And, you know, you might be thinking, gosh, we're talking about false teachers again, and ah, we just have been talking about fighting for so long. Well, good news, Revelation's next. And that's the happy book, right? You know? So, um, but, but Revelation, there's all these pictures of Jesus through that as a commander of the Lord's army, right? Pictures of him being on a white horse with the armies of heaven, pictured with a sword in his hand to strike the nations, right? We have these, these wonderful pictures of Jesus ready for battle. John also says in Revelation that Jesus is the one who judges, he's the one who makes war, and even gives us a picture where he has the bloodstains of his enemies on his uniform, these pictures do not present the gentle, meek, and mild Jesus. They instead give us a picture of the big, powerful, righteously fired up, ready to fight warrior Christ. A Jesus who fights for truth, who fights for his family, and the world will see this Jesus at his second coming. But we have the opportunity and the call now to warn people so that they would come to know him before that time. And so you have Jude here, who's the second in command, bringing the orders from the commander. We see the commander himself, and then we have the soldiers of the army here, those that are receiving the orders. Look again in verse one. To those who are the called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Guess who that is? That's us. That's us that is being referred to there. We are the called. Now that word called is an interesting word, and please take note, because it means to be officially summoned in which refusal is not an option. Right? We don't mind being summoned as long as refusal is an option. But the word called here, we are called, we are the ones summoned. The context of this letter is that God is calling every Christian believer to battle. 
We're being called to battle to fight for the truth, and it's not a conditional request. It's not a, if you're willing, if you have time, if you feel like it. It's like, no, you're, you're in the army. You're being called. You're being called up. You know, in, in our modern uh, military and stuff, if, if a soldier gets orders to report and they don't show up, it's a criminal violation. They've gone AWOL, they call it. It's like, you, you don't have the option to say no is the idea here. That being a part of the family of God also means we're a part of the army of God. And we're called to fight. We're called to be a part of this battle. And so he says, we are kept for Jesus Christ, right after saying we are loved by God the Father, right? We are called to this fight, and and we step up, we answer that call, because God first loved us, right? The Bible tells us we love him because he first loved us. It's a response of obedience in a Christian life to step up and answer the call of God, specifically in the context of this letter, the call to fight for truth. But in that fight, we know that we are kept for Jesus Christ. That word kept means guarded, watched over, taken care of. The idea here is we don't have to fear the fight. We don't have to fear stepping into the fight because our commander watches over us. He's keeping us. He's protecting us. He's calling us to the fight, and then he's saying, and I'm going to protect you in the fight myself. I'm going to protect you, and guess what? I'm God. So I can protect you. I will protect you. And that's a nice thing to know before going into battle, that you're being watched over that you're being guarded, that you're being kept. And so as we enter the battle, I mean, in my head, it's just this picture of Jesus going, hey, before we go into the fight, I want you to know something. We already won. We have victory. You have victory. So, So step in confidently because I'm with you and I'm fighting by your side and I'm with you. And, and you're not going to ultimately fail because you have the victory. Sure, there might be cuts and scratches and scuffs and scrapes, but we won. Past tense, guys. Past tense. We won. We're just living out the fight now in real time. And along the way, we're granted mercy and we're granted peace and we're granted love to help keep us in the fight. And so Jude raises the question, not will I be a soldier? The question is, will you be a good soldier? Will you be a faithful soldier? That's the question that Jude raises because you and I are both a part of the army simply by the nature of being a part of the family. We are the called, we are the loved, and we are the kept. So let us step up. The second element in verse three here we see as this uh, part of this call to fight is the conflict, to understand what the conflict is. Verse three, he says, dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. Now that word, dear friends, other translations, it's beloved. It's that word that John the Apostle used so much to refer to the family, right? It's that idea of of cherished, close, loved family. Not acquaintances, but no, these are people that I would fight for, that I would fight with, that I would stand shoulder to shoulder with, that I would go to battle with, right? That's that idea here as he's using this concept. Now, incidentally, this is the nicest part of the whole letter, all right? 
it, it just, it kind of gets worse from here in the, in the terms of niceness, right? So this is the nicest part. So if, if, you're, if you don't like reading scripture, you know, oh, that, that was offensive and, you know, and all this modern, I need a safe space to read this kind of stuff. Um, just stop there, dear friends. All right. Um, but, but he goes on from here to deal with some things that really need to be dealt with in, in a very uh, um, uh, intentional and intense way. But as he says there, he originally set out to write this great, nice letter of encouragement, right? Talking about our common salvation, our bonds of family, our walk together as Christians, but the letter didn't come out that way. Instead, as he was writing, as the Holy Spirit was inspiring, what came out onto the paper was the call to fight that we have before us. And so instead of a calm lullaby, it's a blaring war horn, right? The call is going out. And I think it's important. I think every age has needed it, and I think we need it today. Because in so many areas, the, the, I think the, the church is, is lacking. I, I, I'm personally, I share this because I'm just personally so blessed by this. But at the same time, it's like, it kind of hurts my heart a little bit, and I'll explain why. But in, in the last few weeks, um, we've, we've had a number of new faces join us here at Hosanna, and I'm so blessed to see you guys and welcome you into the family here. And, and one of the comments that I've heard over and over and over was, um, hey, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, but really excited to be here and really blessed to be a part of this church and just so excited because you guys teach the word here. And I'm like, isn't that what church is supposed to do? <laughs> Don't all churches do that? Apparently not. And that's heartbreaking to me, right? That's just really heartbreaking to me because like, I mean, the word of God is the foundation of our life, right? But apparently it's, you know, and, and I say apparently, like I'm aware, you know, there's a lot of places that it's, it's just not quite that, you know? And, um, you know, I give them to the Lord and the Lord do what he's gonna do with that church and that leadership. But I'm blessed here that we have a focus and we're gonna study the word of God. You know, even when it's all about false teaching and fighting for five books in a row, we're gonna go through it, right? And then when we get to the end of Revelation, we're gonna start at Genesis 1 and we're gonna go through it again. And, and, and that's, what, that's what we hold on to here at Hosanna when we talk about knowing the truth, right? To study the word of God and to study all of it, even the parts we're uncomfortable with because God speaks, not just in the comfortable parts of our lives, but into the uncomfortable parts of our lives too. And so just, just excited about that, but that's the conflict, right? It's about truth. And sometimes speaking truth brings us into conflict and that is uncomfortable. And I think there's many of us that would relate to that, right? We have times in our lives where there's something I'd rather say, but here's what I need to say. You ever been in that situation, right? I'd rather say the least confrontive thing. I'd rather say the thing that is least combative, the thing that, is, that has the least potential to offend, but I've gotta speak truth. I've gotta speak truth. I've gotta say the thing that is true and right. And conflict is unfortunately just a part of reality. It's a, necess uh, a necessary part of dialogue. It's a necessary part of understanding and, and growth. And, and truth changes lives, which is why I think the devil is fighting so hard, especially in our modern culture, to wanna get people to wanna hide from truth and shield themselves from truth, right? You know, there's no longer the, the open dialogue. It's like, no, censor everything that disagrees with me. And if I happen to be the one in control with the most money, guess what? I get to decide what's censored. And, and it's just this battle for truth that is going on in the world today. And so people want to hide from anything that disagrees with them, anything that challenges their point of view. 
And like I said, just as, as a Bible teacher, I've always appreciated the, the, the training I've received and the Calvary Chapel model, I guess, if you want to call it, of just verse by verse. Go through the whole Bible because you're going to get everything it has to say. You're going to cover every issue. God's going to touch on every part of your life as you go through every part of his word. And so Jude says, I found it necessary here. I wanted to write about this, but I found it necessary to write about that. And that phrase there means that he was kind of under pressure, right? The, the Greek word for necessary there also carries the idea of divine dispensation, right? The idea there is that, that hey, I wanted to say this, but God wants me to say this. That's the idea. And many of us would default to avoiding saying the necessary things for the easy things but there are times when God is leading us to say the necessary things. And when God is leading to that, we need to obey and be obedient and step out and say those necessary things. Especially when those necessary things are a divine dispensation, right? And so here he points out what the divine dispensation is here. He goes, I'm appealing to you to contend for the faith. The faith. That word contend there, it's, it's the idea of exerting intense effort struggling, it's the idea of fighting, which is kind of you know, the whole theme of this thing. Uh, in the New Living Bible, it renders this defend the faith. In the Amplified Bible, it renders this fight strenuously for the defense of the faith. In the ISV Bible, it says continue your vigorous defense for the faith. So this idea is that there's effort, right? This word contend has an athletic connotation built into it. It's that idea of, of you know, of training and pushing yourself to the point of agony. That's actually the Greek word. We get our English word agonize from this word contend in the Greek. And so if you've ever, you know, been a runner or a trainer and you're pushing yourself to the point where it hurts, where it's agony, right? But you're pushing to keep going, to keep fighting because you want to get to the goal. You want to win the prize as Paul put it out. The idea is putting on your gloves and stepping into the ring as a contender, not afraid of your opponent. And you know it's gonna hurt. And you know you might get punched in the face, but, but you're here for the fight because you wanna win. So get involved and struggle to win the fight. And he says we struggle for the faith. The faith. That word, the faith, it's a, it's a New Testament term we see a lot that refers to the entire body of Christian truth the entire body of Christian truth, all the doctrines of Christianity that are foundational. It's not whatever is true to you. It's not whatever you think is right. It's not faith in a, subject, a subjective sense, right? Oh, just have faith, right? Well, what do you mean by that, right? He, when he says the faith, he's talking about the truth. He's talking about the whole body of our Christian doctrine, and he's saying that we're to defend it. We're to protect it. We're not to just stand by and just let it idly be corrupted and twisted, but we're to step in the ring. Now, a synonym for the faith is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And in Acts 2, 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the synonym. That's the synonym for the faith. It's the things that they learned from Jesus, that they then taught others and passed down, that were then passed down and passed down, and so on and so forth. This is the faith. That's why we talk about the, the, the scripture that we have, like after Revelation was written, after that, it was like, that's it. God didn't you know, bring new books and new truths in and new things and, you know, oh, hey, here's a gospel of Judas that we just found. Let's add that, you know. It's like, no, no, we have the truth. We have the teachings. We have the faith. It's to teach and to further those things, but to fight to defend those things, to keep them from being twisted and corrupted. This is the whole concept here. In 1 Timothy chapter 4.1, it says, 
Now the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. This is what Jude is addressing here, the apostasy that we've been talking about. People leaving the truth, departing from the influence of the truth to to pay attention to, it says there, to false teachers, to pay attention to false teaching. And he calls that false teaching the teachings of demons, which speaks to the origin of false teaching, doesn't it? We know where it comes from. It's teaching that contradicts the word of God, especially what the word of God reveals about who Jesus is, what he came to do, what that means in our lives. That's the, the, the foundational things. And, and we're to fight for this so vigorously because he tells us there that it was that faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. You know, we don't know exactly when Jude was written. Uh, most scholars, you know, kind of point it um, as late as the 80s the, in the first century and stuff. But when he says delivered once for all, the idea is once for all time is the idea of that phrase, which means, as I already mentioned, I believe by AD 100-ish, that all that God ever wanted to say in terms of scripture was done. It was done. There's no more revelation after that in terms of scripture. God still speaks through his people and speaks through dreams and visions, I believe, but, but in terms of scripture, it's done. He has delivered the truth. He has delivered the faith. He has delivered the body of Christian teaching and truth in its entirety. God did not later on go, oh shoot, I forgot something. Here's the Book of Mormon. That didn't happen. You know what, all that stuff I said about Jesus, actually, I want to amend it. Here's the Koran. That's not how it happened. That didn't happen. And that's why we have to fight and contend for it because God delivered the truth of who he is once for all time. And it's documented in his word. That's why we gotta fight and contend because the devil is always trying to introduce new perversions of that truth, constantly, constantly working to do that. That's why we have to be students of the word and study it and go, what does it teach? So that we don't get into some weird interpretations. We have to interpret scripture properly. That's why it's so important because the devil wants to change it and corrupt it and alter what God's truth says. Why? Because if you're following a false Jesus, you're gonna have a false salvation. It's life or death. And that's why we stand for the truth. So we had the army, that's all of us, non-negotiable. You're in the army now, so you're signed up, okay? We have the conflict, and now we have the third element of this call to fight, which is our weapon. And I wanna touch back on the concept of the faith. We don't just contend for the faith, we contend with the faith. We fight with the truth of the word of God. It's called the sword of the spirit, And God has delivered to us, his people, the most powerful weapon that has ever existed. It's truth. His truth. It's the word of God, his teaching, the faith. The very defense against error, the very attack on error is done with truth. That's why we stand on it. That's why we share it. That's why we preach it. That's why we study it. Now, incidentally, this, this fighting, this contending with the truth doesn't mean that, 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 we, that we yell and we slander and we, we, we're rude and, and, and just, you know, jerks about it, right? 
You're to do it with love and kindness, but you're to do it with, with boldness and confidence as well. You remember when Jesus was in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. The devil's like, hey bro, you're hungry. Hey dude, I'll give you all the nations of the world. And over and over and over, what did Jesus say? It is written. It is written. He confronted error. He confronted the devil with the truth of God's word. And again, that's why we spend the bulk of our time here on Sunday mornings in study of the Bible. I know there are places out there that are like, hey, we're going to have an hour and a half of worship and a five-minute study, and hey, be warm to be filled. And, and okay, God bless them. You know, but, but here... <laughs> We spend time in worship, we want to praise God, but the bulk of our service here is in the study of the Word of God. Occasionally, sometimes you, some of you might go, and it's a little too long sometimes. I, okay, I hear you, right? Um, I, I could talk for four hours if you let me, but I'm not going to do that to you, all right? Um, but, but, but our service time, the bulk of it is spent here in studying the Word, and sometimes people go, oh, you know, pastors, you need, to, you need to reduce your teachings to 30 minutes, to 20 minutes, to 15 minutes. And, 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 and oh, there's some nuance in that, but, but I also know that, you know, some of you can spend four hours on TikTok without blinking an eye. Don't tell me you have an attention problem. Don't, don't tell me it's, you have an attention span problem, you know? Um, sure, TikTok is 15-second studies and a thousand of them in a row, but, but my point is, is, is we can apply our attention, and we could learn how to apply our attention, and I think we need to learn how to apply our attention, especially when it comes to prayer and study of the word here. And so, you know, my job here is to equip the saints, as the Bible says, to, to, to wield the faith in defense of the truth, and, and that means knowing the truth. So, yeah, we spend a lot of time studying the truth. And it's us gathering each week to rearm for the battle. It's us gathering each week to, you know, we need some more ammunition. You know, I, I'm out of ammunition. I fought all week long. We come together. We dig back in. We reload. We resupply. We get some training in. And then we go out and we fight together. And, and that's why then we, we gather together in community groups because, you know, during the week we're fighting. And I just, I need to retreat a little bit and, and catch my breath and get back out. And so we, we, we have these opportunities to encourage one another because the conflict is real, and it's a conflict that is life or death for people who don't know Jesus. And the fourth element of our call to fight is our enemy. You know, what are we fighting against? Who are we fighting against? Well, look at verse four. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Yes, we're fighting the devil. Yes, he's the great enemy. But he works through his vessels and servants and instruments to do his thing, and those are the people that are among us to pervert the truth of God. This verse, incidentally, I think serves as an introduction to the rest of the letter moving forward, right? And so he opens up here with some characteristics of apostates, right? He says they, they, they come in by stealth, Right, I read that, and the first thing I think of is a ninja, right? <laughs> just all black, right? Smoke bomb, <laughs> and, and, and just sneaking in, right? But, but the idea is that they're deceitful. They slip into the church secretly. They slip in under the guise, I'm a Christian too. Oh yeah, we're just another denomination. We believe in the same God, but they're really wolves. They're pretend Christians, they're pretend Christians because if they were real ones, they wouldn't have to sneak in by stealth. 
they would just come boldly, right? And that's kind of what second and third John were all about is being able to discern the difference. He calls them ungodly. This is one of Jude's favorite words, right? I think he was the kind of dude that would stand face to face and just go, you're ungodly, and not blink twice about saying it. And you're like, that's offensive, Jude. I don't think he cared. If you were coming against truth, and he called him ungodly. He uses this word six times in this letter to refer to people. What is ungodly? It means ungodlike. Ungodlike. It's a person who claims to belong to God, but in their life and their behavior is nothing, nothing like God. Or to go back to 1 John, the concept is they claim to have a, a relationship with God, but they don't have the nature of God in their life in any way, shape, or form. Ungodly. And you might think, well, what's so bad about ungodly people? Why write a whole letter about them? Just, just avoid them. Just don't watch their YouTube channel. Just don't talk to them. Don't make eye contact, right? Well, there's a principle we find in, in the Bible and in a lot through the New Testament, and the principle is that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Leaven is this picture of sin in the Bible, and that's why when we take communion, you know, the bread that you have, there's no leaven in it because leaven was, was pictured as this thing that puffs up, and just a little bit, just a little bit will ruin the whole batch. And so the idea here is, is if you let enough ungodly people slip into the fellowship, if you let enough ungodly people or ungodly teachings slip into your life, slip into your family, the influence will start infecting, and the influence will start directing ungodly behavior. And then he talks about how they twist and manipulate grace. He says they turn grace, the grace of our God into sensuality. Sensuality simply means immorality, right? And it's that idea that, you know, uh, since you're saved, you know, some people go, oh, you, you're, 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 you're saved, um, so live however you want. Now, I don't believe you could lose your salvation, but I do believe you lose blessing. <laughs> you lose the blessing of Lord in your life when you're walking in disobedience. There's all kinds of negative stuff that comes into our life when we're walking in disobedience. And so the people that are just like, oh no, just do whatever you want, live however you want, and it doesn't matter, Jesus loves you. Every lifestyle is okay, Jesus is a God of love. Everything is acceptable and all right. No, he's going, you, you gotta stand against that. The idea that God is so loving and so tolerant that he'll let you do whatever you want and, and still let you into heaven, hmm, we need to have a conversation because that's not really biblically accurate. And it's today we see that with people who try to make God's truth support all manner of immorality. If you don't agree with them, well, you're the one that's not loving. If you don't agree with, with my version of this, you're hateful, you're a bigot. All that stuff we've seen and, and talked about and is happening in our world today. And then he says they deny Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. You know, for some people, they'll, they'll say things like, you know, Jesus is, is great. Jesus is good, but only if you have this version, if you have our version. If you have, have uh, a Jesus, that's great, plus this. That's all stuff that goes all the way back to the early church. Pollute the well, add a little bit, and it'll corrupt the whole thing. And so it's, no, it, it's only Jesus. It's only Jesus as revealed by God's word. It's only the biblical Jesus. Not Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus and Jesus and that's it. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. 
He's who we'll learn about. He's who we should study. He's who we should emulate. Who's, he's who we should live after. He's the one we should know because but he, he lived to demonstrate how to live. It's Jesus. And if the focus isn't Jesus as the source, the number one thing, there's a challenge. And these people were coming into the church as Judah's writing against. He's going, look, they're coming in and they're bringing all this false stuff. And he's like, I wanted to write you guys a letter to say, ah, family together, oh, we have this common salvation. He goes, but you know what? The Holy Spirit was impressing upon my heart. We gotta fight for truth because it's gonna destroy so much if we let just a little bit in and let it start to multiply and incorrupt. And so he's writing these things 2,000 years ago. But we're still dealing with attacks on the faith today, aren't we? All over the place. And at some point, we have to draw a line in the sand. At some point, as God's kids, who are called into God's army, at some point, we have to declare by word and action that we believe that true love means telling people the truth of standing up for truth and proclaiming truth and preaching truth because that's what true love is. That's what true love does. And so the way our world is going, you do that, it'll probably land you in hot water. Right, we see it today already. You know, we see some glimpses of the opposite which is encouraging, you know. But it's like, no, I have faith reasons, I won't make that cake. You shouldn't have a business. Matter of fact, you should have no income. Matter of fact, there's a thousand cake shops. Just go somewhere else. But no, you can't preach that truth. You must accept our truth. It, it's just, it's a world we live in today where as we stand for the truth, it, it's, it's gonna create difficulties for us. And I think that's the temptation for a lot of us to say, no, th- I believe in Jesus. It's my truth, but, but I'm not gonna be confrontational because, you know, my life is comfortable, my, my job is necessary, <laughs> you know, I have all these things, you know, and, and, uh, but we can't forget that the commander of our army said, look, I've called you, I love you, and I keep you. You'll be okay, I got you. You'll be okay, trust me, but step into the fight. Our world today, we end up in censorship, right? We tried to make a post about Prop 1 a couple weeks ago. And because the language of the post was, we stand against Prop 1 or something close to that, you can't say that. We changed it to, we want to educate you on Prop 1. That's okay. They let that go through. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Not just censored on social media, but, but maligned, maligned by governments, right? Two years ago, they tried to do that. Hey, we need to have a neat opportunity to flex our government muscles, muscles and tell churches they can't worship. Serious? Well, we worshiped anyways, didn't we? But it always ends up in attempts to take away your livelihood, and, and, and for some, it's gonna end up in jail time. For some, it might end up in losing your life for the truth of the gospel. But he told us it was coming. He told us it was gonna happen. It's not a surprise. And we will not deny Jesus Christ. That should be the stance we take as believers. We will not deny his truth. We will not turn the grace of God into a license for immorality. So fight the fight. Step into the ring, will you? I am. I wanna bring everybody with me. 
It's nice to have backup, right? You know, that's what we're called to do. Let's do it. So we will fight, we will contend, we will train, we will arm ourselves, we will speak what needs to be spoken when it needs to be spoken. We will answer the call. We will follow our commander. We will trust him with our lives and everything related to our lives as we stand and fight for the truth. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We love you, Lord. But we only love you because you first loved us. You died for our sin to save us. You paid the price for every wrong we've ever done so that we could be reconciled to you. God, because outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, we were standing against you adversarially, God. We were in the enemy's camp. And we were quite, quite literally on the wrong side of the fight, the losing side. God, you've called us to trust you. You've called us to put our faith in you, God, and when we do, we are saved. We are washed clean of our sin, Lord. The, the whole record of everything that was in our lives that was against you is erased, wiped clean, God. And we become your children. And that's a wonderful picture, God, but we also become soldiers in your army. And that picture may be difficult for some to accept, Lord, because maybe you've wired them to, to, to be the, the, the peaceful people in their sphere of influence, God. But Lord, we still can contend for the faith in a peaceful way. We can contend for the faith in a kind way. We can contend for the faith in a gentle way. But Lord, sometimes, sometimes, contending for the faith means we have to fight a little harder maybe be a little more bold and firm and confident in our stance, God. And so I just ask, Lord, that in the world we live in today, where truth is under attack, scientific truth is under attack, spiritual truth is under attack, you would help us, Lord, to be people who stand for the truth of who you are, according to your revealed word, to not add anything to it, to not take anything away from it, but to learn it, to study it, to teach it, to proclaim it as it is, God. That the truth of who you are and what you came to do for us and the salvation you offer, Lord, would go out from us individually, would go out from this church, and would go out from every Bible-believing church, Lord, into the darkness, into the lives of those that don't know you, that they would come to know the truth. You, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. Help us, God. Keep equipping us. Keep encouraging us. And help us to never forget, God, that we are called, that we are loved, and that we are kept by you. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's worship, guys.